Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, just like we were talking about the Kingdom of God this morning. And, uh, of course, we always talk about the kingdoms of the world, the governments of the world. That's what the word really means. Kingdom of God means the government of God. So if we say government of God, that would put it a little bit more into using common, everyday language that we use today. Because when they translated the King James Bible... Vesalius meant more likely kingdom because we had King James. And so the government of King James would call governments kingdoms because most governments were kingdoms then. We didn't even have the United States then. So basically, Basilia, which is the Greek word we see translated into kingdom, means government. So almost every place you see kingdom we can transpose the word government. And if you do that, then suddenly the Bible is a book about government. (laughs) It's not usually the government of the people for the people and by the people. It's usually the government by some central authority exercising authority over the people. But originally, the kingdom of God and always the kingdom of God is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Which that phrase alone, like I have said many times, came from the Wycliffe translation in the forward, the the introduction to the Wycliffe Bible, that this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Of course, in order to do what they were telling us how to do in that book, which is how to have such a government, where the individual is free to make choices within some framework of law. But then we, that's what we talked about this morning, law. But we talked about the Torah, which means law. The kingdom of God is the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And God speaks to those people individually. Now, occasionally there were judges and there were prophets, and eventually the people did something really stupid, as they wanted a chief executive officer, which they called a king. And he had exercising authority over the people. Now, there were limitations written down in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 17, that if the people ever decided to have a chief executive officer, which translates as a king, You know, I mean, you can elect a king. You could give a king a four-year term of office. uh, And you can give him certain terms. And this is why we write about history. So you understand language and the words of the Bible in the context of history. We see the word emperor in the Bible, referring to the Caesar as being the emperor of Rome. That word emperor, imperator, means commander-in-chief. You can look it up. I mean, when I was a little kid, entering in the seminary, I entered the seminary at 13. And I had a little dictionary. I still have it today. I used it in conference with my father some 25 years ago. I, I still have that original little cheat sheet, Latin to English dictionary, an English to Latin dictionary. If you look up the word imperator, which is the Latin word for emperor, 
The definition is commander-in-chief. That's what his job was. He, most people don't know it, but the, the imperator of Rome, which was, the first one was Augustus Caesar, Octavius Augustus Caesar, was a 10-year term of office. If he was elected by the people to an electoral college to be the emperor of Rome, <laughs> to be the commander-in-chief, what they did, a thing that they did in the writing of the Constitution of the United States, because the people who wrote the Constitution of the United States understood that we need to look at other governments and other histories and histories of government in order to write a Constitution that would be effective. So they did some homework. And they knew that separation of powers was really important. Rome tried a number of ways to separate powers. You know, they didn't originally have an emperor. They had, uh, they were a republic originally. And then you see over a 500 year history, the de-evolution from a republic to an indirect democracy and then to an imperial sort of democracy and uh, then totalitarian dictatorship. And so you see that process. And we see historians of historians like Polybius telling us that if you go certain ways in the organization of your government, your whole government's going to go a certain way. Your people are going to go a certain way. That if the people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they will degenerate. And they will degenerate because they institute the rule of force and violence. Now, that's a translation of Polybius, where they institute this rule of force and violence, which which just means the rule of exercising authority one over the other. That that if you don't comply with the rules that we make, we're going to get violent with you and put you in jail. That's the consequences of creating a system where the people develop an appetite, the masses of the people develop an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them at the expense of others, by the rule of force and violence. If you do that, it is inevitable that the people will degenerate, according to one translation, into perfect savages. That's the consequences. That is based on the law of nature. Polybius is explaining what happens if you go that way. Now, that was 150 years before Christ, but that wasn't a new idea. That was around, we can go back to Proverbs and we can see that. If you sit and eat with a ruler, that one of those men who can exercise authority one over the other, some chief executive officer, some king, some prime minister, some president, who can exercise authority one over the other and take away from one class of citizens to give to another. Or take away from your neighbor to give from another. Whether that neighbor is in your country or maybe that neighbor is up in Gaul. You know, we've talked about that which is what Caesar, Julius Caesar did, that that will degenerate the people. And and Proverbs tells us that if you have an appetite for the benefits of that man who can exercise authority, 
In other words, appetite for the dainties he offers. You should put a knife to your throat. That's what Proverbs tells you. Put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. Because to desire those benefits is to covet your neighbor's goods. Now, I know a lot of you have heard this message so many times. But you need to rehearse it. That's what the Bible tells us. Over and over again in your mind. In order to cleanse out the nonsense that's already in your head that was put there by men who have been lying to you. They have not been telling you the truth. They have been telling you lies. Now, we have to forgive them of their lies. Some of them were just deceived themselves. They went to the seminary like I went to the seminary. They went to college like I went to college. And they were taught certain things. And I was taught certain things. But I was I was precocious as a child. And entering the seminary, I was one of the youngest people in the seminary at 13. Attending St. Joseph's College down in San Jose, California for classes. I asked questions. I remember raising my hand in theology class. Actually, I raised my hand in history class. <laughs> I raised my hand in algebra class. <laughs> and asked questions. Because I wanted to know. And now that I know, I, I want to find other people who want to know. Do you know anybody else who wants to know the truth? Because the truth is going to set you free. Maybe. The truth only sets you free if you accept the truth. And act upon the truth. We talked about that this morning. This will all be a part of a series. I forgot what I named this series. Torah. Torah, meaning law. Supposedly meaning law. We talked about that this morning. And then there's all kinds of Torahs. There's a Torah that begins Tav. And has a Resh and a Vav and a Hey in it. That's the normal way to spell Torah. It's not the only way they spell it. Sometimes they spell it Tav. Resh, no, actually, Vav, Tav, Resh, Vav, Yad. Yeah, I'm doing this from memory. I have to picture it, so I, then I have to read the picture in my head. That's one of the problems that I've had. I've been very dyslexic, very precocious as a child, very very uh, energetic as a child, and now I'm, I'm still a child. <laughs> I just have lots of gray hair. <laughs> so, uh, that, that, that I... I ask these questions and and I see images of what people tell me. And in those images, I see patterns. And it, it made me a horrible speller, just a horrible speller. And uh, I, I, a lot of my writing, I, I am reading in my heart and my mind what God is putting on my heart and my mind and I'm typing it out. Well, Evidently, when I type it out, I will reverse all the words that say here, H-E-R-E, to H-E-A-R, and vice versa. And all the words T-H-E-I-R and T-H-E-R-E, I will reverse them every time, (laughs) over and over again. (laughs) So I have to go back and fix all that. But uh, because I'm I'm not in the part of my brain that spells, I'm in the part of my brain that sees these images and of course it's the same way you know old men will what see images and young men will dream dreams or vice versa the reality is is what you have to do is see the patterns too and you may see them differently than i but the patterns remain the same because the truth remains the same the truth was the truth at the time of adam and eve 
And the truth was the truth at the time of Abraham. And the truth was the truth at the time of Moses and Jesus Christ and Polybius and Cicero and George Bush. The truth is the truth. Now, who sees it, who talks about it, who shares it, who has a vision of it, that depends on who is willing to see the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know, Patrick Henry. He was willing to see the truth. An amazing man. Almost a prophet himself. The barefoot lawyer, they called him. But he saw that there was this desire in men to control what other men said or what other men think. And he saw that as a bad thing. And he was right. That's a bad thing. It comes about because of the darkness in men's hearts. Because of the lack of humility. The lack of forgiveness in men's hearts. This is why Christ focused on the lack of humility. And what gives us humility, which is willing to sacrifice our power to choose. Our exousia to choose. Not by giving it away to somebody else. But we choose not for ourselves, but for others. I had a conversation with somebody, or listened to them most of the time, where they were talking about men and women and the relationship of men and women. And it was a woman who was telling me this. That that women had, a, some women have a difficulty in giving the power to a man, this is the woke mentality, to make choices for the family. And this, of course, has weakened men. Because what strengthens men and strengthens generation after generation if you have a healthy family according to the law of nature and nature's God, which is what the Bible is telling you, that that man is making decisions based on love for his wife and for his children and for his family. I mean, the woke people want you to think that men have been oppressing women for thousands of years. Not necessarily so at all. Men have been dying and sacrificing themselves for women for thousands of years. Sometimes their passion gets in the way and they do the wrong thing. Sometimes their lust gets in the way and they do the wrong thing. Same could be said of women. But the idea that men and women have been at war with each other, no, no. It isn't that the man is supposed to make all the choices and the woman is supposed to obey the man. It's both of them are to obey God. But who is God? What is God? God is that force of nature that created nature. It is that divine intelligence. You can call it all kinds of things. And we're going to get into this, so I'm going to mention it now. That what the people are going to do or what they need to do is see the truth of this law of nature, which is also defined as right reason, which is also defined as divine will. If you look up the law of nature or the natural law, it will give you in the definition divine will, right reason, the will of God. Now, what's God? Does God even function? I mean, We know there's some sort of divine intelligence out there. We talk about the wrath of God. The wrath of God, we talked about that this morning, is simply the consequences of going against the law of nature. 
which is what Polybius would say. If you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, which with the vast federal bureaucracy and state bureaucracies and county bureaucracies all around to provide you all the services services you want, all the benefits you want, that bureaucracy is dependent upon taking money from your neighbor in order to function. Now, God allows you to have a government, but he limited it. Again, Deuteronomy 17. He was doing nothing. If you picked a king, he was you were to write down a constitution. It tells you in Deuteronomy to write what to write in the constitution. Evidently, the authors of the Constitution of the United States failed to mention some of these things. They didn't write in the Constitution that the the president could do these things. It was the because they had this idea of division of power. And everybody, almost everybody who tells you about the Constitution and the government of the United States it says there are three branches of government. That is baloney. <laughs> that is not true. You can tell. You can quote me on that. Baloney. <laughs> There's four branches of government. And one of the branches is is not even branches. They are the millions of people. <laughs> You've got the legislature, the judicial and the executive branch of the government created by the Constitution. But the people weren't created by the Constitution. We know from the Constitution and the statutes of the United States, which include the Declaration of Independence. If you go look up the U.S. Codes, one of the first U.S. Codes in the United States Codes is the Declaration of Independence. That Talking about the God of nature and the natural law. And that you're endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights. That's a branch of government. That's the people. But what's happened is that the people has given power to the government. They have given responsibility to the government to make choices for them. And they did this to obtain benefits. Sometimes some people did it out of ignorance. And a lot of people today are doing it out of ignorance. They're told, oh, you gotta, you gotta go sign up at the temple. I mean, the government building to get benefits. You gotta get a number and, and they will give you a number and then you can go out and get benefits. Of course, it's to the point now that if you don't get the number, you can't even get a job. You can't get a bank account. You can't enter into the marketplace. I mean, again, you can hide out on the street somewhere. <laughs> you, you're not without, you can't get government ID, you can't fly on airplanes, you, I mean, so you pretty much, I mean, if you got rid of your social security number today, you would, or your national insurance number, wherever you're at, you know, in England, Canada, Australia, if you got rid of that number, you're liable to die. Well, of course, that's the prediction that, you know, without the mark of the government, you might not live. Uh, You won't be allowed in the marketplace. Oh, you can buy and sell some stuff, but you're not going to get into the marketplace, which is what that idiom that we see in Revelation is all about. So you're already to that point. You're back. 
One of the things written in Deuteronomy is you could not do anything to return the people to the bondage of Egypt. And we covered that this morning. Everybody's back in the bondage of Egypt. And it's worse for you today because back then they would only take 20% of your labor. Today they can take far more of your labor. And one of the ways they take your labor is debt. (laughs) Somebody was telling me that, uh, you know, a relative that there's in another country... Uh, thinks that debt is good. And you can actually find people that will tell you that the debt is good, that we need that debt. It's good for the economy. Well, what economy? Not a kingdom economy. In the kingdom economy, debt is forbidden. I mean, you can do it, but you would be in violation of the Sabbath. And we talked about that this morning and gave you more explanation. We have recordings up on this. We have a web page at Preparing. You can look that up. But Sabbath is about staying out of debt. You work first. You get the benefit of that work after you do the work. You don't get the benefit today and then have to pay the work tomorrow. That's not keeping the Sabbath. That is the reverse. God worked first. Then he took the rest from the benefit of the labor that he did. That's... That's Now, a lot of people don't want that. They think, oh, no, we're counting our days and we're keeping the Sabbath and we go to church on Saturday or Sunday. It doesn't really matter because you go to church, they're not going to tell you the truth. Oh, they're going to tell you some truth. They'll talk about Jesus, but they're not going to tell you who he really was, what he was really saying, what he was really doing. You hear it here. You hear it here all the time. But people have gone the wrong way. So now if you want to go the right way, If you want to go the way of the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you have to turn around. You have to think differently. So I'm always talking about where is that big difference? And there's a lot of different places. And that's why I'm trying to go through the whole Bible and take it verse by verse and, and show you what they were talking about here. What they were talking about there. And so when that's why I want you to understand the meaning of words. And put it in the context of your life. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within your reach. It's for the living. It's not for the dead. It's not for after you die. Whatever takes place after you die, that takes place after you die. I'm not even going to... I want you to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you think the kingdom of God is after you die, then why are you seeking righteousness today? And are you seeking righteousness today? If you're seeking debt to get benefits today and leave the payment of debt to your children, then what you're doing is cursing your children with debt. If you want that benefit today at the expense of your neighbor, then that's a covetous practice. That's forbidden in the New Testament. It's forbidden in the Old Testament. It's forbidden in all the commandments. And if we break those commandments down into two commandments, love God Love your neighbor as yourself. How is it loving your neighbor to send men to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to pay for what you want today? Your student loan. Nobody's forgiving the student loan. They're they're forgiving you violating the Sabbath. (laughs) They're forgiving you by putting the debt on your neighbor. Uh, By coveting your neighbor's goods. That is what you're doing. That is going to make you merchandise. That's what the New Testament tells you. Peter tells you that. Paul says, from such, stay away. Turn away from those people 
who are in covetous practices, coveting their neighbor's goods. You know, so how in the world do you think that you're going to have anything to do with the kingdom of God, the government of God, if you're violating all the rules of the kingdom of God? Israel, people think Israel's over there in the Middle East. Well, there is a country over there called Israel, and there's some good people there, there's some bad people there. You know, there's there's people who are deluded there. There are people, just like in your hometown, good and bad people, deluded people. Now, we forgive the bad people. We we love our enemies. What do you do when you love your enemy? You tell them the truth. Now, you have to be careful. You tell them too much truth, they'll turn on you and rent you under. <laughs> so, don't give them too many pearls. But be righteous with them. Because that's how you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, is debt good? You know, right now, at $30,871,364,350,000. Oh, I got those numbers right. Did I leave something out? Trillion, billion, million. <laughs> a lot of money. You can't figure that number in any way. Well, there's been a steady increase. I mean, World War II, debt shot way up. Then it started going down. And then it started going back up again. And it continued up. And, you know, I, I said this morning, I used the hockey puck analogy. It's not the hockey puck. It's the hockey stick. Exponential increase in debt. And that's really important to understand this exponential increase in debt. And this debt is all the result of not keeping the Sabbath. In other words, Wanting stuff today that you're going to pay for tomorrow. And, and when I was a kid, most of the money that was paid in, in income tax, which is why there is an income tax, it doesn't go to provide government services. It goes to pay the interest on the debt. Now, if you look at the debt at the time of World War II and the debt, they always talk about in 19... $90 or $1980. Well, your dollar from the, the dollar in your pocket, if you had a dollar in your pocket, which is actually a paper note, it's a debt note in your pocket, that has decreased in value since the beginning of the show. <laughs> Steadily. I, as faster I talk, the faster it goes down, <laughs> although it's not my talking that make it go down. And part of that is the interest that's being paid. And now they're going to slow the economy by increasing the interest rates. Well, who's going to pay the interest on the money they borrow when they increase the interest rates? That's that's you and your kids. So, I mean, you are caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. Uh, the economy is destined for destruction. But to tell you the truth, the the intelligent design behind the system, from the Federal Reserve, the, the League of Nations, all this stuff, is the design of evil. Void of the design of God. And so there's already built in to the law of nature the consequences for straying from the formula that giveth life. And we talked a little bit this morning, just touched on it briefly. We'll be talking about it more and more. How do you tap into the tree of life? The tree of life shows you what is right and wrong. Shows you what the truth is. Individually. Because each one of you is a branch of government of God. Some of you have been very slothful. 
Some of you have been very naughty. <laughs> Some of you have been very ignorant. But hopefully you'll repent and we can turn this all around. There is no way we're going to get through this without a miracle, what we call a miracle, which is simply divine intervention. And, and I had a number of quotes that I can't remember them right now that I was going to mention. But uh, it tells us over and over again that God will intervene. But not if you're worshiping a false God. You know, the God's many of the world. Only if you're actually worshiping the God. And you say, well, I do. I worship the God of the Bible. Do you? Or do you worship the image of the God of the Bible that you have in your mind that was created by your seminary professors or your college professors or your minister in your church? Have you really been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Can you see the desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor Depending for your livelihood on the property of your neighbor is the antithesis of following Jesus Christ. If you want to force your neighbor to give you stuff, provide benefits, take care of your parents, any of these things, if you want the government to do it, you're not following the way of Christ. So you have to repent of that, which means think differently and realize, wait a minute. If we're going to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, we have to take back that responsibility. And that's what the early church was doing. They weren't going to the temples of Rome. They weren't going to the temple of Herod. Now, actually, because Jesus Christ was king, people say, Oh, they did. the Jews didn't accept Jesus Christ as king. Anybody who tells you that, you know they're absolutely ignorant. Because right in the Bible, we have thousands of Jews, citizens of Judea, the apostles, the 120 in the upper room, they accepted Jesus as king. There is another king, one Jesus. They were Jews. Now, there were Pharisees that didn't accept Jesus as king. But when... Rome said Jesus Christ was king. This is why I tell the whole story. I mentioned it this morning on Aristobulus. You can go back to our back recordings. Uh, probably some of the ones around baptism and stuff like that. The whole point of Rome being there was to decide who was the rightful king of Judea. And Pontius Pilate decided that and nailed an official government plaque of ebony wood covered in plaster on the cross saying Jesus Christ. Is king. That's what the Bible tells us. Doesn't mention the ebony wood, but that's what they did. Historically, I know that. But he he wrote it in three languages. That wasn't just some broken board that some Roman soldier right there. You actually see that in some of the movies. Some Roman soldier is carving out a couple of letters and and putting it on the cross, hanging it up on the cross. The story says that this was an issued by Pontius Pilate. It was a pro curator of Rome that this guy is the king of the Jews he wrote it in three languages that was more than a couple of letters and it just irked the Pharisees the ones that wanted him killed the ones that were supposedly Jews and wanted him killed Jews being citizens of Judea that's what a Jew was now over thousands of years definition of Jew has changed in a lot of different places and I have nothing against the 
Jews or the Israelites. I don't even have anything against the Zionists over there. Now, they're doing things wrong here and there. I mean, they have iron coin, which is not just weights and measures. They have a debt system, a Federal Reserve debt system. All their people are in debt. They have uh, forced uh, draft. Uh, even David repented of that and said, no, we can't do it that way. Uh, they all have a number. They are all collateral for debt of their own country. Uh, they're violating almost all the rules of Moses. And there are lots of people who call themselves Jews that see that and are against that. I'm just talking about what's righteous. I don't care about labels and names. You know, like a person says, I believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus who? <laughs> Who's the Jesus you believe in? What do you think Jesus was at? Did Jesus come here to allow you to covet your neighbor's goods through government? No. He said, no, you weren't supposed to do that. You weren't, you know, the whole New Testament is telling the story of people who who stopped coveting the dainties of rulers. Uh, stopped eating at the table of rulers that say that they set this table for your welfare, but David said it's a snare. And Paul quoted David saying the same thing. But Paul, Peter, seven men were setting a table filled with the Eucharist of Christ, the Thanksgiving of Christ, the bread that was rightly divided from house to house. They were doing this through charity, which is the same word for love. Now, I know you've heard me say this a lot, but you need to gather together in congregations of ten and start sharing this information with everybody. That if you're just going to a church for what feeling it gives you, so you can hear what you want to hear about Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom and the righteousness of God. You're not going to get to Christ. You're not going to access his salvation. You're, you're just going to delude yourself. You have to become the government of God as those 144,000 branches of government. Because right now you're in a government. Originally, you know, this is why I point out the original constitution was never ratified by the people. It says we the people there. And I have a whole, you can look that up. We the people at Preparing You, whole article, probably some audios there. I can't even remember where they're all at. It, it, and, but I will cover this again. I, I will go through Napolitano who talks about this, that that was a mistake in the in the Constitution. It shouldn't have said, we the people. And there was whole debates about this at the time with Madison and others who said that shouldn't say, we the people. Madison actually thought it should say, we the people. But that was because the states individually, generally speaking, were republics, which made the leaders of those republics titular. So it, even though Really, what it says is we, the people of the United States, and you want to know who they were, you look at the bottom of the document and they all signed it. Because that was what they were doing. They're signing it. We agree to this. They had no authority to agree for you know, anybody else. Horatio Bunce, they weren't. They, he'd not given them the authority to sign that document for him. The states were creating another government 
And it, it wasn't created by the writing of the Constitution. It was created by the ratification and acquiescence to the Constitution. It actually, at the beginning, was illegal. It was a lawless act. Because they had all signed agreements they would not change the nature of government and without unanimous consent. And they did without all 13 colonies. And they didn't have a right to do that. But by the time eventually they did, but they actually coerced some guys, but that's all water under the bridge. The reality is it's here. And it's been changing century or decade after decade and now century after century because we're over 200 years old it's changed and it's gone from a republic to an indirect democracy and now it's been sold on the market the citizens of the United States were not subject there was no income tax there was very little property tax and uh, most of the people who were landed immigrants wanted to get away from property tax most of the schools were built by volunteer labor and volunteer contributions. Most of the hospitals were built that way. As a matter of fact, that's what made America great, according to historians like Alexis Tocqueville. Back in the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s. Even at the time of Horatio Bunt's explanation to Davy Crockett. Look up Davy Crockett at Preparing You. But that's when we were a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And the United States federal government was a very small thing. It was an important thing at that time. But according to the Bible, we were to write down that he could do nothing to return us to the bondage of Egypt. And he could not do anything to return us to the bondage of Egypt without our consent on an individual basis. And you, the way in which you consent, and we'll cover this as we go through and cover the definition of logos and, and look at the Napolitano, uh, uh, he gave a speech to Mises and we will look at that. Cause, you know, I, I have had that on the internet for a long time. Uh, I was trying to think of under what page? Under natural law. Cause he, that, that was what the talk was about, the difference between natural law and the legal system. But, a problem with that, and, and, and what he said at Mises, he was wrong about several things that he said in that video. I just put the whole video up. I referenced some of the errors uh, by explaining things in the whole document. But I would like to make a video that I eventually replace the one of Napolitano. I will quote his words, but I will replace it and show you where he went wrong. Because that's why I pull up these historical events and the historical realities back then and now. You know, this whole debt thing that has gotten really out of hand. You can go back when there was only $2 trillion in debt. Now there's $30 trillion in debt. That's that's amazing. Uh, but how are you going to pay the interest on $30 trillion in debt? Are you going to forgive that? Well, guess what? Federal Reserve's not that forgiving. <laughs> Are you going to do away with the Fed? Even when we had the American Revolution, you didn't do away with the debt. You still had to pay your debts to other countries. But the problem, the bankruptcy in America today that we see in the $30 trillion of debt 
is really a bankruptcy of the soul. Because we have been living lawlessly. And this is one thing that Apolitano talks about is that you can waive your rights, your inalienably endowed, unalienable rights, where you don't have access to them anymore. If you robbed a bank, he says, if you, that's the example he gives. If you rob a bank. Because we can arrest you because now you're a danger and a threat and you're violating the rights of other people. You've robbed a bank of its debt notes. <laughs> Which, I mean, there's there's a question there. Did I actually take something of value from the bank? Did I steal something of value from the bank? Because the Federal Reserve states on their website that Federal Reserve notes have no value. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I'm splitting hairs here. The point is you robbed the bank. You threatened people. You probably had a gun. Anyway... Now they can arrest you and put you in jail. You still have all your inalienable rights. You can only exercise them within the jail. <laughs> so you, you have been limited because you're a threat to society. If you attack people, uh, if you shoot people, if you stab people, they can arrest you and put you in jail because you are a threat to society. If you say, I'm going to blow up something, they can arrest you because you're threatening to injure. And the purpose of the legal system at one time was to protect the innocent. It's become something else. It's if you think the legal system, this is where you have to change the thinking. This is why I mentioned this and I can dissect this into lots of different now. If you think the legal system is there so you can punish the wicked, you're going to go into bondage. Because you don't have the right to punish the wicked. You have a right to stop the wicked from injuring other people that are threatening other people, robbing other people, injuring other people. Because to kill, to rob, to defame the character of other people, you know, to commit fraud, these are all listed in those commandments that could injure people. And if you're injuring people, they have a right to protect themselves from you. And they can create institutions to do that. But if you're creating institutions to punish people, I always think it's so funny. We sent him to jail for five years to pay his debt to society. At the end of five years, he has run up a bill of being incarcerated that's running into hundreds of thousands of dollars. (laughs) He didn't pay debt. To society, he increased the debt of society. <laughs> but no, if you wanted him to pay the debt, he has to pay back all the money he stole. <laughs> and all the trouble we went to to find him. That's what the Bible says. But people don't understand law. They don't understand justice. Because the churches aren't preaching the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They don't even know what it is. And that's why we're going to have this ser- series so that we can... Get to this eventually and and have a better idea of what the law of God is and what the consequences of a lawless society. And that's why I thought, well, actually, somebody in government was talking to me earlier just before I came in here. I came in here just minutes before the show was on. And I thought, well, I'm going to mention, you know, when I named the title of the show, the economics of lawlessness. If you're not keeping the Sabbath... In other words, you're going into debt. You're borrowing money against the future. And you're you're not only doing that, but you're doing it by breaking another law. 
of nature that we see listed in the Ten Statements. We call the Ten Commandments, the Ten Instructions explaining how it works. If you're, if you're borrowing against the future by coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority and they get to exercise authority because you made covenants with them, they're ruling judges, they're gods, that's what gods means. You, there's three commandments you broke right then. And if you give them that power and they cause the death of other people, then you got another commandment. If they give them that power and they rob other people, like widows and orphans, like the, the guy where the widow owed six dollars on her taxes. She owed more and she paid it all off and she thought she paid everything she owed the county off. But she missed six dollars. They sold her property out from underneath her. And they wouldn't give it back. And everybody kept going to church. And and so everybody in that county, everybody in that state that allowed that to take place are robbing widows and orphans. They're all thieves. Because they use the legal system to abuse the law. How can you do that? Use the legal system to abuse the law. Because the legal system exists within the law of nature. And that's what, you know, when I wrote the book Covenants of the Gods to show you how you got into this mess. And I only do it so that you can let go of the ideas that you've already accepted that just ain't so. Because there's nothing in the book Covenants of God that tells you how to get out of the pit that you have dug for yourselves. And your parents helped you dig, and your grandparents, but we forgive them. We're not, we're not blaming other people, right? If you're going to sit around blaming other people, you're never going to get out of the pit. <laughs> That's not forgiveness will get you out of the pit. Not only forgiveness, but sacrifice. You have to care about others, and that care always care always requires sacrifice. Take care of the baby. Care. Take care of your horse, of your of your dog, of your children, of your neighbor. That always requires sacrifice. And so you need forgiveness and sacrifice to get out of the pit that you've dug for yourself. And the problem is, is the bottom is going to fall out of the pit real soon. I'm not predicting any time or dates, but it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that you're, you know, does the person who is hung for his crimes die when the trap door opens or when you put the noose around his neck or when he's convicted or when he gets to the end of the rope well you're almost to the end of your rope and so you need to repent now you need to stop wasting time you need to sit down in the tens hundreds and thousands and become that tens of thousands of branches of government in a free society that sets men free, that calls for the fire of God, the baptism of fire of God, to be your protector. It's going to require faith, <laughs> faith of a man who's got to walk on water, <laughs> faith of a man who's going to have to face Goliath, a faith of a man who is going to have to leave Haran and Ur and Haran, and uh, which was started by Terah, but leave his nativity and go out in the wilderness and build altars of charity. Because that's what Abraham did. He was a man of faith. 
And he ended up able to defeat an army that defeated city-state after city-state. And he was able to defeat them overnight because he not only did what was right, he gathered together with all kinds of other people that were learning to build altars of charity. One of the big things in the Bible, and that's why we have that in the book, Thy Kingdom Comes, and we have it in articles, the artifice uh, of uh, sacrifice. You can look that up at preparing you. And like I said this morning, talking about the Essenes, the Essenes did not do animal sacrifice. They read the Torah in Hebrew and Greek, and they did not do animal sacrifice because they said there wasn't anything in the Bible about piling up stones and burning up sheep. Pharisees said there were. The Masoretic text said there were. Your modern Protestants reading the Old Testament say there were. But they're not listening to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would say that's not about piling up stones and burning up sheep. Because that don't smell good to me. That don't smell good to God. Sacrifice does. But sacrifice out of love. Free will offerings. To take care of the needy of your society. Through that free will offering. Through that charity. That draws you near God. That's Corbin, meaning sacrifice. That draws you near God. If you force your neighbor to contribute to your Corbin, your social welfare, your tables of benefits, your dainties of the king, if you, if you do that, that will take you farther away from God. That will put you into the darkness. And when you wake up one morning, You'll be $31 trillion in debt. <laughs> Is it trillion? Maybe I'm not even getting that number right. It seemed like when I was looking at all those commas. You know, it's a lot of money. And it's getting more and more. And they don't care. They don't want you to pay it back. Because debt is slavery. Debt is bondage. Problem is, it's not going to work out for them either. Because they're under a strong delusion as well. Uh, they're riding high right now, but it's it, the wrath of God is coming. The consequences of what they're doing. They are the prophets of the beast. Uh, I don't want to be in their shoes. I want to be serving Christ. And if you're just going to church and listening to all this, but they're not telling you the truth about how we have strayed from the way because the way is what it was called, and the way was a way of individual responsibility, of loving one another, a network of charity that reached all across the Roman Empire and beyond and took care of all the social welfare for Christians who would not take any of the free bread and circuses or benefits of Rome. If you're not going the way the early church went, then you're not going the way. And if your your church, your chapel, your your religion, your philosophy, your ideology is telling you that it's okay to do all these things, or you're deluding yourself into thinking, well, I keep the Sabbath, and I, you know, I don't know that everybody's got these rules. I go go to church. I pray to Jesus. Well, now you know what Jesus was saying. Not those who say Lord, Lord, and go to church and pray for. Me pray to me or say they pray to me not those but those who actually do it the will of the father and the will of the father is you not covet your neighbor's goods 
You don't make covenants with men who will take from your neighbor by force for you, which is coveting your neighbor's goods. You, you, they won't require you to have allegiance to them. They want you to have allegiance to righteousness. So you can't join his holy church. Uh, it's, it's not a membership thing. It's a, it's a, a phrase talking about the way of Christ. Now, you can join together with other people and start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. And in that process, your individual process, the kingdom of God will be clarified. And for those of you who listened to the morning show when I talked about those letters of the word Torah, which could mean law or law of nature or right reason, Requires faith at the beginning. The letter of faith. The Tav. And it, it's connected to your power to choose. The Resh. Which is a process of clarification. But sometimes Torah is written. Not only with the Tav, Vav and Resh. But also with another Tav. And a Yod. And that Yod is the divine spark. It is God writing upon your heart and upon your mind. In order to let God write upon your heart and your mind, you have to realize that your intellectual brain is not smart enough to figure out what God wants for you. Only the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an emotional spirit. It's a still small voice. It's not thunder in the distance that we see in the prophet who's looking for the voice of God. Was it in the thunder? Was it in the wind? Was it in... Was it in, is the answer for you in scripture? Well, scripture certainly makes a reference to the answer, but the answer is in the finger of God writing upon your heart and your mind. That's the covenant you want. But he isn't going to write upon the hearts and minds of people that are selfish and covetous and haven't learned to live by faith, hope, and charity. The people who just say, Lord, Lord, but don't actually want to do the will of God. Which is why Christ commanded that his apostles make the people sit down in that network so that they can start to follow the way of Christ. The government of God. Seek that government of God. The kingdom of God. And the righteousness of God. Which is to take care of one another through love. Which sometimes translated charity. Sometimes translated love. Like I say, when Jesus says it, they mostly write the translation as love. But when Paul uses the same word, most of the time they translate it charity. Because you see there in Acts, Christians taking care of Christians during depressions and tourists and runaway inflation all over the Roman Empire. Through a network. He knows where to go, who to give this stuff to, and... There's so much more to tell you about all that and how that all works. We're almost at the end of the program. So, at preparing you, if you're not already on the network, get on the network. It's just an email network, but it's based on geography because we want to put people in contact, connected, the VOB, the letter of the Hebrew, connected with one another so that you can make good choices on how to help one another. Now, we're just talking about people are saying, well, that is good. Well, the, from one limited perspective... If you live in the the uh, the monopoly economy with fake money, <laughs> uh, 
and you borrow money with your credit card, you can expand your credit line. And if you need to borrow money, you can, you know, to buy a house or something like that, you can do it because they know you've paid off your credit card debt. And they they register whether or not you're a good risk or not by that. But you're over there in the other realm, in the kingdom of God. You would have your own banking system, which is easily done today. There's an actual way to do that today. We've, we've, I've researched it for uh, decade upon decade. But we have to have the people willing to do it. And it, it's absolutely legal. And that banking system is not for profit. That's one of the key things. That's what they were doing with the seven. Go read the article we have on seven men. It's not for profit. And, and most of the loans could be done locally by the people amongst you if you needed a loan. But it's not for profit. We don't loan you money for profit. And we don't want you to, but the reality is, system, you, you may have to do that. <laughs> but that is ultimately what you want to do is come together out of care for one another and learn to do without the system that has brought you back into bondage. So that's going to be one of the key elements of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And hopefully, that's what everybody will start to do. And uh, join us on the network. Seek the kingdom, not for yourself, but for others, because that's the key to the kingdom. God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.